The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Rally back on or finally off the market, snapping a five-day win streak Monday. The factors that determine where we go from here ahead. The race to get Americans out of Afghanistan, a humanitarian tragedy, and one China may be also eyeing, but for different reasons. Back here at home, the TSA saying, hold on to those masks as it extends its mandate for travelers. Is TikTok's time up? The Biden administration crushing new calls by one top lawmaker to pull the plug on the app over China's role. And your morning RBI has some big, and we mean big, paydays for a number of American executives, names topping the more than $100 million club, and the list may surprise you. It is Wednesday, August 18th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good to be back in the seat with you. Hope you're having a good start to your day or into your day, wherever you are. And here's how your money and the global markets are setting up their day. We are seeing futures slightly lower. They are down just a touch, not a lot. Dow futures, they're off 62 points, one-tenth of whatever, 1%. NASDAQ off just about the same. Now, on Tuesday, the Dow and the S&P snapped a five-day win streak. The Dow down 280 points, primarily, though, dragged down by one stock. Shares of Home Depot on its second quarter numbers. We'll get more on those in just a bit. The S&P 500, meantime, suffering its worst day in a month. Still, context is key. The markets have had a very good run lately making more new highs this year than any year since 1995. I think it's like 47 or whatever new highs so far this year. Let's take a quick look at the bond market ahead of the release of the Fed meeting minutes, which come out this afternoon. Ten-year yield does remain under 1.3%. And also checking the cryptos, we are seeing them down just a touch. Bitcoin down about 500 bucks, down to just under 45,000. Ethereum off about 2%. Let's go now around the world. Juliana Tadabama is in our London newsroom. We'll look at the early trade in London and some of your key headlines overseas. Juliana, what do you got for us this morning? Good morning, Brian. Well, so far this morning, it's been a muted start for European markets. As you can see here, it's a mixed picture, but generally we are trending lower. The CAC 40 over in France, the leading loss is down about four-tenths of a percent. The FTSE 100 here in the UK down by about a third of a percent. A little bit of green, though, for the healthcare-heavy Swiss market this morning. Now, Brian, you talked about the downturn we saw in U.S. markets yesterday. European markets were actually more resilient. The stock 600 ended the day marginally higher. So, 
today, perhaps we're just catching up on that trade that you saw come through late in the session yesterday stateside. In, in terms of data this morning, we got some UK inflation numbers coming through. UK inflation actually slowed more than expected in July. Price growth for clothing, footwear and recreational goods eased. But still an open question as to whether we see a pickup in inflation later in the year. But investors closely watching those numbers. Uh, turning to the sectors, this is what the split looks like this morning. Even split uh, in terms of the gainers and the losers. On the upside, real estate leading the way higher, up about six-tenths of a percent, alongside healthcare and utilities. On the downside, we've got basic resources leading losses down about one and a quarter percent. You'll remember yesterday we saw BHP very, very strong. Uh, that stock delivered a strategic update to the market and drag and, and brought the rest of the sector higher. So this morning, a bit of a pullback after those gains. Autos and retail round out the underperformers this morning. Brian, back over to you. All right, Juliana. Juliana, thank you very much. All right, now to the latest in the rapidly developing and deteriorating situation out of Afghanistan. The Biden administration is racing to get Americans and some select others out of the country as the Taliban takes control. NBC News has learned the White House has told Senate staffers that as many as 15,000 Americans do remain in Afghanistan, some with apparently no way to leave as the Taliban control nearly every highway. White House does say the Taliban has agreed to allow safe passage, as they call it, for some, as the group claims that it wants peace. But many questions do remain, and tensions are very, very high. Dan Murphy joining us now from, with Abu Dhabi, from Abu Dhabi with the very latest on the situation in Afghanistan. Dan, uh, good evening to you, good afternoon. What can you tell us? Brian, hello to you. Well, Taliban leaders speaking for the first time overnight using a news conference to try and calm fears in the West and in the United States about the fall of Kabul and their rise to power. Ultimately, the Taliban trying here to convey a message that they have changed since the days of 9-11, saying, quote, nobody will be harmed in Afghanistan, pardoning those who fought against them. They've welcomed a free press and they're even claiming that they're committed to the rights of women under Islamic law. Of course, all of these claims being met with great skepticism globally. Meanwhile, the situation in Kabul is still very fluid. We understand the Taliban is offering safe passage to Kabul airport, as you say, which is much more secure at this hour. There are troops on the ground now and planes taking off and landing as those evacuations continue. But of course, Brian, pressure mounting now on the Biden administration to get Americans and allies out of the Taliban-controlled country quickly and safely. As you say, NBC News reports as many as 15,000 Americans remain on the ground in Afghanistan this morning. And the White House has not said if those evacuations can be done before the president's end of the month deadline. Brian, before I let you go, I also wanted to update you on some news that we're following with the central bank in Afghanistan. A series of tweets just out from the Afghan central bank boss. He says the Taliban will have to implement capital controls and limit access to the dollar because the US has frozen Afghanistan's central bank assets, cutting off what is a very important lifeline worth about $9 billion in total. Of course, the bulk of that conveniently held at the U.S. Federal Reserve. So the U.S. still pushing back on the Taliban. Brian, back over to you. All right, Dan Murphy in Abu Dhabi with the latest on Afghanistan. Dan, thank you very much. All right, in the meantime, let's get a check now on some of this morning's other top stories, including if you were hoping to take that mask off in an airport or on an airplane anytime soon, think again. The Biden administration stretching it back out. Bertha Coombs here now with more on that and more. Bertha, good morning. 
Hey, good morning, Brian. The TSA announcing it is extending the federal requirement for travelers and masks on commercial flights, buses and trains. The agency now saying that rule will stay in place until at least January 18th of next year. That mandate was set to expire next month. The extension will cover traditionally busy periods for travel, such as Thanksgiving and the December holidays, amid continued concerns around COVID. Republican Senator Marco Rubio is renewing his call for TikTok to be banned in the U.S. Rubio calling on the Biden administration to make that move following reports that the Chinese government has acquired an ownership stake and board seats in the social media app's parent company, ByteDance. In June, President Biden revoked former President Trump's 2020 executive order banning TikTok, replacing it with a process for evaluating the security risks of foreign-owned apps. And Neil Kashkari reiterating his benchmark to start winding down the Fed's easy money policies. Speaking at a summit yesterday, the Minneapolis Fed president said it could be reasonable to start reducing the Fed's bond buying program later this year. Kashkari adding that move would depend on making further progress in the labor market, echoing his comments in a podcast released earlier this week. Kashkari, though, not a voting member this year, Brian. No, he is not. And uh, out with some some pretty tough comments on crypto as well, Bertha. He is a very outspoken certain member of the Fed. <laughs> yeah. Bertha, we'll see you in a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Bertha, see you back in a couple of minutes. Thank you very much. So why don't we stay there where Bertha left off with those comments from Kashkari as we prepare for the central bank to release the minutes of its latest policy meeting today. For more on this and more, we're joined by Mark Avalon. He is president of Potomac Wealth Advisors. Mark, good morning. Good to see you back on. How closely, if at all, are you watching the Fed and what it says? Well, we are watching the Fed a lot. This has been a Fed rally since 2008. We've said Jerome Powell is the most powerful man in the markets that we look at. Jerome Powerful is what I call him because what he says, thinks and does will drive this market more than anything, more than that little retail number we saw yesterday which I think was a bit of an overreaction. It's gonna be all about what the Fed says out of Jackson Hole, how measured they are, how calming they are to the market saying, hey, we're just gonna take a little bit off the table over a prolonged period of time, let's not panic. And I think investors are getting that message. So I think the Fed is going to begin to taper. They're setting the table for it. They are the biggest driver in this market. There are other factors, but when you look at the, the root of how they rebounded us from the depths of 2008 and the spring of last year, you can't deny the Fed is the number one factor facing investors. All right, what will be number two then, Mark? Well, there's a confluence of, of other factors that also matter. You have congressional spending, which is massive. You had super strong corporate earnings and you had good guidance. And you also have trillions of dollars on the sidelines. You take those three factors and this accommodative Fed, and that's why I want to look beyond yesterday's number. I think it's a bit of an overreaction. I'm reading this morning that we had a plunge yesterday. We had a plunge of less than 1% after a, a rally that's phenomenal. We're, we had two historic years. Last year and this year, the markets are up. We've doubled off the lows and a less than 1% plunge that doesn't that doesn't resonate for me and my investors. So I think those four huge factors will dominate these little headlines. That said, 
it, it shows me that investors are jittery. And what worries me most is there may be hot money in the market. And when we get a little blip with a little news and we get some algorithmic trading, that could send stocks down. And that's what concerns me more, not the underlying uh, pinnings of this market. Yeah, but a lot of people may be, may be hoping for a pullback, Mark. As we've noted, we haven't had a 5% down move for the S&P in 10 months. I mean, that is truly, truly remarkable. Knowing then all you know and all you've just said, what are you advising your clients to do? Well, that is exactly why I'm bullish, because with all these people waiting for 3 4 5%, with up to four trillion on the sidelines, it's a supply and demand function. There's going to be a demand for stocks. The demand for a product increases its price. So this is uh, an actually a bullish sign. And I actually hope we get a modest correction because we will see some of the shakeout of the higher multiple, lower quality names. We'll get a return to more fundamental investing. Bull markets are characterized with many corrections and even a 10% correction, which I don't think we'd go that low. Even 10% corrections are not uncommon. And I think they could, a mini correction here could be looked at as a bullish signal. And so what are you buying with that? If you're bullish longer term, is there anything that looks even fairly valued right now, Mark? Well, if I believe in that strong economy and, and a modest Fed response, I'm still going to love technology. I think it's going to work whether with its Delta variant gets a little more uh, widespread. And I think it's going to work if, if the economy just looks beyond that and grows. I think stocks like Amazon, which have not really participated for the past year, are going to be look, looking good on a valuation basis. We've seen the other FANG names do very well, Alphabet and Facebook this year, Apple as well. We still like tech. We think financials across the board, whether it's the traditional money center banks with capital markets activity, asset management, uh, great loan credit quality, they're going to look good. Regionals and even community banks on takeovers and, and mergers to compete with the, the aforementioned larger players, as well as fintech and online deposit gathering machines. So we like financials and we like technology. All right, financials, technology, and maybe some fintech thrown in there as well. Mark Avalone, Potomac Wealth Management. Mark, thanks for kicking off the show for us on this Wednesday. See you soon. Take care. Good to be here. All right, we are just getting started. You're welcome. And when we come back, the growing threat of antitrust action out of D.C. Our exclusive conversation with the co-founder of Dish Network on that hot-button issue. Plus, T-Mobile out with new details on just how much of your information may have been compromised in that massive data breach. And then, retail earnings. Yeah, they're back in focus. Target and Lowe's prepare to open up their books after Home Depot scared the market yesterday. We'll talk more about all of it as Worldwide Exchange rolls on right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. And I am back from Colorado, where I was at a conference on technology policy and innovation. And while there, I had a long on-the-record chat with Dish Network founder and chairman Charlie Ergen. Now, we covered a lot of topics over the course of a 45-minute or so dialogue, one of which was growing concern over antitrust action out of Washington, particularly for big tech, and I asked whether those worries were warranted. Probably. I don't, you know, we don't have that much money to be, you know, we wouldn't we'd show up on the screen, but, you know, some people in this audience, you know, have a lot of money. And I, and I think that, that what happens when companies get big, they start doing things that, that are to, to stay big. And, and so they start, you know, you always start out with competition and you, the bigger you get, you, you always start getting around the edges. And so I think there's probably things that, that I, I'm not particularly expert on that. Um, and I don't see uh, tons of things that are anti-competitive as far as our company's concerned, but we do see things around the edges. Now, Ergen also saying when it comes to a number of technology companies, including those offering online services, they have not been as regulated as other sectors. Obviously, in 45 plus minutes, we had a lot more than just that. We talked about mobile innovation, their 5G rollout, their new deal with AT&T, CDMA shutdown at T-Mobile. And you can see our full conversation with Charlie Ergen at CNBC's YouTube page. Check it out. All right, still on deck. Bust out the credit card because the Girl Scouts are busting out their newest confectionery creation set to hit your wallet. Look at this morning's top trending stories. Look at that. That looks good, doesn't it? Dow features down 57. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. It's going to check down some of this morning's other top headlines, including the latest on that dire situation in Haiti following the massive earthquake and now a tropical storm. Francis Rivera in New York with that and more. Francis, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning. The death toll in Haiti continues to soar after Saturday's earthquake. The Haitian government says more than 1,900 lives have been lost and the number of injured climbed to nearly 10,000. Humanitarian groups are scrambling to continue with their work after Tropical Storm Grace hit the island. UNICEF estimates that more than 1.2 million people have been impacted and half of them are children. Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced he tested positive for COVID-19 despite being fully vaccinated. It comes one day after he attended a crowded indoor campaign event. Abbott said in a tweet he has no symptoms.
Disney is bringing a little extra magic to Halloween this year with its new adaptive kids' costumes. The company unveiled its inclusive collection to transform wheelchairs in a fan favorites from Cinderella to the Mandalorian. The costumes are available online for $50. The smiles they're sure to get are absolutely priceless. When you look at them, I would think, Brian... $150, but yeah, that's the price that they're uh, that they're smacking on them right now. I'm sure a lot of families would pay more than that, but great to see the smiles and talk about Halloween this early. At least, you know, it's something that'll put smiles on everybody's faces. I, I, Francis, we, you know, we're, we're boring old CNBC, not cool like you, but we've talked a lot <laughs> about these supply chain problems, and I'm telling you, buy your Halloween stuff now. Heck, buy your Christmas gifts now, because if you're hoping to get it, with all the problems out of China, it may not be there. So you're not wrong to bring up Halloween in mid-August. You're right. I'm in such denial because I want summer to keep going. But you put it that way, yeah, <laughs> we better start stocking up right now. You know it's good for you. Francis, yeah, thank you. But don't bring up a river in Egypt. Denial. <laughs> thank you. Leave rivers out of it. All right, Francis, thank you very much. That was such a terrible dad joke. I apologize to everybody. All right, let's get now to some of this morning's top trending stories. Please save the show, which include old art, old dads, new shoes, and some new cookies. Bertha Coombs, rescue us. I, I'm a fan of dad jokes. I, I think they're always fun. But anyway, an attempted art heist went terribly wrong in the Netherlands after two thieves tried to steal a Monet painting. Shots were fired at the Zans Museum, where the painting from 1871 was on display as part of a Monet exhibit. One of the robbers dropped the painting as the pair drove away, and the museum says the painting now is being examined for damages. The Monet was purchased by the Zanz Museum in 2015 for almost $1.4 million. Meantime, Adidas has a new Simpsons collaborations, and I caramba, this time it's with Ned Flanders. The new shoes design is a nod to the character's brown, green, and pink color scheme, and will be released least on October 3rd. It's a shoe only a dad could love. The 30th anniversary of the episode that inspired it. And there's a new Girl Scout cookie coming to town. The Girl Scouts have announced a new brownie cookie called Adventure Fills. Those are not Adventure Fills. Those are old cookies. But this will join the 22 season lineup. The quote brownie inspired cookie also features caramel favored cream and sea salt. My mouth is watering. Last year's edition was a French toast inspired cookie. Girl Scout cookie season starts in January and runs until April. And a quick check on the top stocks trending right now on CNBC.com. Most searched right now are the 10-year treasure note, Moderna, Alibaba, Tesla, and as usual, Brian, AMC. Boy, that meme trend is not dying out anytime soon. Who's looking up the 10-year bond? <laughs> well, you know, if you're refining your mortgage or looking for a mortgage, you want to see what's going on with the 10-year treasury note. Oh, yeah. By, by the way, Bertha, I was in Colorado yesterday at Aspen. I tweeted out a picture of it. Five-bedroom, six-bath home, so big house, 5,000 square feet. How much? I saw that. And it was over much? $13 oh, million, dollars, if I recall. Yeah, okay, I did so see that 13. picture. 13.5 million. 
I know. But the views, ah, I mean, everywhere you great look town. at Aspen, you feel like you're in the sound of music. It's beautiful. I, I'm not joking. Bertha, we have not talked. Tell the audience. I was literally walking down the street <laughs> humming Edelweiss. I'm not, but because I thought the exact same thing, passing something called the Mountain House. Isn't it? H-A-U-S. Also, it's I have beautiful. emotional problems, beautiful. but there's that. So, Bertha, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> $13.5 million bucks. By the way, listen to our RBI, because the people that we're going to reference in the RBI could buy that house. Anyway, coming up, the State Department's former head of energy resources laying out the fight set to take shape over Afghanistan's mineral riches and why China may suddenly want to become a friend of the Taliban. Will the market rally rally on a big wing street snap? So what are the key catalysts for your money ahead? We're going to lay it out. Hacked. T-Mobile out with new details overnight on its massive data breach, including who and what were compromised. And an already tough situation out west, getting even tougher. It's California's power company cutting the power to try to stop more fires. It is Wednesday, August 18th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back, everybody. Good Wednesday morning, 5.30 on the East Coast. Thanks for joining us. Here's how your money and the markets look right now as we are exactly halfway through the 5 a.m. hour futures. They're not down much. And tech futures, they just turned positive. Dow futures actually down 68, about a tenth of a point, maybe two. NASDAQ futures, we'll call them unch for unchanged. By the way, on Tuesday, the Dow and the S&P snapped their five-day win streak. The Dow down 280 points, primarily, though, Dragged down by shares of Home Depot on its second quarter numbers. We'll get more on that in just a couple of minutes. The S&P suffering its worst day in a month. But keep it in context. We've made, what, 45, 46 record highs for the S&P this year. And that is the most since all the way back in 1995. Wow. All right, more on the markets in a minute. But right now, let's get more of that massive T-Mobile hack where some of your personal data may have been compromised. Bertha's back with that and other key headlines. Bertha. Brian, T-Mobile says an ongoing investigation into a cyber attack on its systems shows that the personal data of nearly 8 million of its current wireless customers was compromised. In a statement, the company says it became aware of the attack late last week after an online forum claimed user data was leaked. T-Mobile says data from about 850,000 prepaid customers and more than 40 million records of former or prospective customers were also stolen. The data included names, date of birth, social security numbers, and driver's license information. But T-Mobile says there was no indication that any financial details were exposed. Meantime, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is bracing for a fight with moderates next week. Top Democrats say the House will move forward with voting on the budget blueprint for that $3.5 trillion healthcare, education, and climate package rejecting demands from a group of centrist lawmakers to vote first on the $1 trillion infrastructure bill. Pelosi sent a letter last night urging her caucus to pass the budget measure. Once that happens, they can start to craft details of the legislation. Democrats can afford no more than three defections in the narrowly divided House. 
And PG&E is cutting off electricity to as many as 51,000 customers in heavily forested parts of Northern California to reduce the risks its power equipment will spark wildfires. The company began implementing so-called public safety power shutoffs late yesterday in parts of 18 counties north of San Francisco in anticipation of high wind gusts. The proactive shutoffs may last through this afternoon. The Dixie Fire, the second largest in California history, may have started when a tree hit one of PG&E's power lines. Tough situation there, Brian, for those folks this summer. Yeah, and, and it has been for years now. It seems like every year and every summer it just gets worse and worse. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. All right, let's continue now the discussion around the fall of Afghanistan because its loss to the Taliban is a tragedy, of course, on so many levels, particularly for many of the women and children there now living in fear for their lives. That is obviously the most important thing in all of this. But there's also a potentially huge economic story here as well long term. Because Afghanistan is thought to be very, very rich in so-called rare earth minerals. All the elements that we talk so much about here on CNBC that we need to power our electrified future. And it's possible that China now has its sights set on them and maybe the Taliban. Frank Fannin is head of Fannin Global Advisors, a senior advisor for the Center for Strategic and International Studies and a former assistant secretary of energy state or state rather for energy resources. Frank it's good to have you on Worldwide Exchange. Thanks for getting up early. We appreciate it. Uh, what do we know about Afghanistan, lithium, and rare earth minerals? Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. We've known uh, since 2010 uh, about the significant minerals endowment that Afghanistan holds. Uh, what's really in it, the value has gone from a trillion dollars to $3 trillion in rare earth elements, lithium, some of the critical minerals that really are uh, necessary to power uh, the clean energy future and really control the commanding heights of the new economy. Uh, so we've known about this endowment for quite some time. What's really been a headwind against the development of those resources uh, was one, demand wasn't what it is today. And, and secondly, uh, the, the poor governance issues in Afghanistan, the evolving rule of law, all created a headwind against investment. And there are other better places to invest. That's all changing now in the context of this exponential demand increase, given the clean energy transition uh, and also uh, the Taliban now in firm control uh, of government in Afghanistan. Right now, these rare earth minerals, primarily their processing, as we've talked about, is about 85 percent controlled by China because they saw the future decades ago. They got ahead of us and they really control that part of its story. We've been talking about a lot here on CNBC. Do you think or do you believe that China will reach out, try to cozy up to the Taliban with its eyes on some of these resources? Yeah, Brian, I, I think, it's a, I think there's, there's two points. There's one, the supply side of the equation, which you're speaking to, but there's also the geopolitical context in which China wants to engage with Afghanistan. China, as well as Russia, have already made diplomatic overtures to, uh, to the Taliban. So we already know that's in train. Um, what China's most focused on uh, is, as you noted, continuing their dominance in rare earth elements, processing, refining. Um, but they're also interested principally in stability, uh, political stability, and regional stability. And also to secure their considerable Belt and Road investments they've already uh, made in Pakistan. Uh, what is increasingly concerning aren't just the diplomatic overtures, but also uh, this increasing rapprochement with, with, with the Taliban, uh, where the Taliban has actually said that Chinese repression, the Chinese Communist Party's repression of its Muslim 
uh, population is an internal China matter. Uh, and also that they welcomed Chinese investment in, in helping uh, the development of Afghanistan. So, so China is already starting the, the machinations of, um, of Belt and Road expansion into Afghanistan. Yeah. And, and the wealth allows for investment justification. And the one thing that China has done in the past is they have gone into impoverished nations, primarily like the, the, the Congo. And they have said, hey, let us in. We're going to give you a bunch of money. We're going to extract these minerals. You'll get a big cut. And then we're going to ship the minerals back to China for processing. Afghanistan, obviously, right now with the Taliban, uh, who knows what their leadership wants to do or will do and whether or not there's any infrastructure to do it. But China could provide the funding for that. Do you think we will see China and, to your point, Russia come in with cash for the country and say, let us in. We'll take the minerals. You'll get a cut, but we'll do all the work. Absolutely. I think China is putting, put, laying literally the groundwork to develop those, the, those roads and, and those export uh, avenues to, back to China. Uh, this, again, geopolitically, one, it's the market context. You know, China makes decisions not based on uh, quarterly statements and annual returns. They make decisions for the very long term and through a geopolitical lens. They, they don't answer to shareholders like your viewers, many of your viewers do. Uh, they're, they're, they're responsive uh, to what the party uh, dictates. Uh, and so they're looking at things not just through that commercial lens, but through the geopolitical. Uh, I think they're already starting uh, to make those, lay that groundwork for, for just this kind of investment. And I can envisage here uh, a, a Taliban protectorate, secure, security zones for Chinese mining camps in country. What, what I think is really important here, you know, the answer that, as you mentioned, we've been we're playing out playing catch up to China in, in this question. Um, what, I've, what I think we have to do as the West and free nations everywhere, we need to band together uh, to say countries that will not accept minerals for the clean energy transition or for anything um, based on repressive regimes. We've, we did this before. We, we expanded our economic security uh, of free nations together in the context of apartheid South Africa, where the world said we are not going to accept uh, doing business with a, a regime that represses its population. Uh, th- this, this takeover of, of Afghanistan by the Taliban is a clarion call to step up to that same kind of leadership uh, in the world. And we cannot accept uh, these minerals to be exploited by a country that represses half its population. Yeah, and the, and the minerals, by the way, should belong to the population that to benefit. But there's obviously the fall was so rapid. It's a long, long way to go in the story. Frank Fan and Fan and Global Advisors. Frank, good to have you on the program. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. Coming up, will Lowe's pull up Home Depot and spook investors? We're going to hammer down some of the home improvement names and why Target, now the target of some new concerns around retail earnings. Stick around. Well, on Tuesday, the Dow snapped a five-day win streak, but primarily because of Home Depot. It dropped 4%, dragging down the index, even as blowout earnings were apparently not blowout enough. So now we look ahead to Target and Home Depot's biggest competitor, Lowe's. For more now on what to look for inside the numbers and the guidance back in, Jerome Martis, Director of Consumer Research at Refinitiv. Jerome, by any measure, Home Depot's numbers we're great. If I just laid them out to you and said, here are the numbers, you'd be like, whoa, those are great. Investors, though, clearly expected more. What do you expect from Lowe's? 
Well, when we compare the two of them, Home Depot and Lowe's, there's no question that Home Depot is expected to, well, did perform stronger. We expect Home Depot to do much stronger than Lowe's. And this is mainly because uh, we've been saying this over the past year, but like Home Depot is actually facing easier comparisons than Lowe's this time around. Lowe's posted stellar um, numbers last year. In fact, it posted the strongest same-store sales number on record at 34.2%. So as a result, we're expecting a drop in same-store sales at negative 2.2% this time around. Now, it's important to note that a negative 2.2% usually in normal times does signify that a business is struggling. However, this time around, it just means that business volume is holding up very well compared to the strong gains it did a year ago. So we're expected to lose, lose to see some negative numbers when it comes to year over year growth because it was the strongest quarter for Lowe's on history last year. But as long as we see a small single yeah. negative digit growth, it means that business volume is holding up well. I mean, not just Lowe's, Jerome. Can we compare any big, because we know last year, the, it was obviously last Second quarter last year was when everything locked down. The government said, OK, you five or six stores, you can stay open. Everybody else has to shut down. Is there any way or any reason to actually comp year over year? Or should we really look to 2019? Because second quarter of 2020 was just bonkers, just nuts on so many <laughs> levels. And you're completely right, Brian, because there is no comparable year to 2020 whatsoever. So what we do at Refinitiv is we not only look at 2020, but we also look a lot at the pre-pandemic levels to see if consumers did, uh, I'm sorry, if retailers um, actually outperformed that level for both Target and Lowe's who are expected to report today. They're both expected to see numbers that are significantly stronger than the 2019 um, level. Now, to your point, um, the least disruptive measure because stores were closed is e-commerce. So as a result, Refinitiv is also looking very car carefully at, at what the e-commerce numbers are that these companies are reporting. For Lowe's and Target, we're expecting to see flat e-commerce, which is actually a good sign. Uh, Target last year saw nearly 200% growth in comp in e-commerce comps. So as a result, a flat number this, this time around will tell us that that business volume online, which is huge, is holding up very well. And the stock's up 86% in a year. And so the expectations, Jerome, have obviously been brought in. I mean, so you got these these huge numbers, the stocks go down, you say, well, what happened? Well, look at the stocks run. I don't want to say back to school because my friends in Illinois and Georgia and Florida, their kids are already back in school. They, they started early. Uh, but for, for many of us on the East Coast, we still got a week or two left. So how, how are we looking for either already back to school or prepping for some back to school? Walmart already gave us the first glimpse at the back-to-school telling us that it's pretty strong and that consumers' traffic is up for back-to-school. They also did a great job with inventory levels, and they prepped for it, knowing how strong demand is from the consumer right now. And we expect to see the same from Target. In fact, Target is one of the top favorites from analysts pulled by Refinitiv in terms of the back-to-school season. It's also launching for the first time its collaboration with Ulta, Ulta Beauty for the first time this month in August, which is perfect for just in time for back to school as teenagers go back. Um, now, the back to school season in itself will not only benefit from late August 
sales as consumers love to procrastinate, but also from early September sales. Once consumer, once the students go back to school and they eye what their classmates are wearing, wearing they have a tendency to go back to the malls or go back online and, and shop for the latest fashion. So we're going to see a, a pretty healthy ah. back to school season uh, this year. So it's back to the store season, not back to school season. Now I see how it is done. Jerome Martis of Refinitiv. Thank you very much, Jerome. Good stuff. See you soon. Take care. And by the way, do not miss CNBC's exclusive conversation with Target CEO of the company's results coming up in the next hour on Squawk Box. All right, on deck. Superstar Jenny Harrington rolling out her latest stock plays. You're going to want to hear these names. And your morning RBI on the six highest paid executives in America. And I don't say this lightly. The numbers are going to blow your mind. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. It's called, you guessed it, Worldwide Exchange. We're back on Worldwide Exchange right after this. Well, today's RBI is about paydays. Big paydays, executive paydays, because Bloomberg is out with its annual list of the most well-compensated executives in America last year. And did we mention some of these paydays were big? The list is truly stunning. Let's look at the top names. Now, Elon Musk, he's number one by a country mile or a country hundred miles, getting options grants worth $6.6 billion. And they report that actually gives him a paper gain of about $33 billion already. You go, Elon Number two is a guy you may not know of. I'd never heard of him. A fellow named Mike Pikos. He's the CEO of Oak Street Health, a series of health clinics focused mostly on Medicare patients. And it says on this website, its goal is to help end the, quote, disparity in health care. His total comp came in at $568 million, almost all in stock and options, by the way. Apparently, there's a, a lot of money in health care because number three and number four on Bloomberg's list the co-CEOs of GoodRx, both with options grants of $497 million. That's followed by Eric Wu, CEO of Open Door Technologies at 388, and Alex Karp, head of Palantir, at a relatively meager $369 million. I'm obviously kidding about the meager. And do keep in mind that Bloomberg notes many of these numbers include things like replacement awards from prior years, and four of these five companies are fairly new IPOs or new IPOs. So there is that. But even for many others, 2020 was a very good year in the C-suite with 15 executives getting more than $100 million each in total compensation. And in case you're wondering, the CEO of the world's biggest and maybe the most important company for the markets, Apple, Tim Cook, he came in only at number eight with $265 million in total comp. Did we tell you the numbers were big? And they are. Definitely random, but interesting. And now we know who can afford that house that I referenced earlier in Aspen. Well, now let's welcome in a guest who is worth all of that and more. Jenny Harrington of Gilman Hill Asset Management. Uh, those are, listen, I got no issue with compensation. And, and a lot of these are IPOs, Jenny. Those are, those are big numbers. But a random this is random, but maybe ridiculous. Do you look at things like executive comp when it goes to picking a stock? Yeah, I do. But the companies that I own, the CEOs don't get paid those amounts. And as you were going through that, Brian, all I could think of was that if you asked me about it, the best I could say is if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. There's just 
something not okay to me about some of those numbers. Yeah, they're pretty big. I mean, listen, a lot more options and IPOs. Yeah. That's not why we brought you on. Let's talk about why we brought you on. But yeah. before we get to some of your new picks, <laughs> and by the way, there's the, I just brought it up because I'm jealous. I'm not going to lie, Jenny. Uh, we just Are talked you? about Home Depot. <laughs> a li- uh, well, I, 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 would li- I wouldn't mind living in Aspen. It was a very nice town. Um, yeah, let let me bring this up. A little there. birdie tells me, <laughs> yeah. I, I know exactly, in my ear, he said, hey, ask Jenny about Home Depot she just sold the stock okay. a few months ago. Is that true? And if so, yeah. why? We, we did. And we sold it in, literally in anticipation of exactly this kind of earnings report. So we're pretty, in a sad way, um, excited to see this, the report. One of the things that we thought was that, hey, the share price, and we sold it back in May at 335. So it kind of went down when we sold it, then plateaued, and then, and then proved our sell thesis to be correct. But this is a broader sell thesis, which is, really more related to peak earnings growth and expectations for many of these pandemic beneficiary companies being too high with the ideas being with the idea being that um that a lot of that pent-up demand that drove that drove the sales growth at the apples at the amazons at the netflixes over the last year it's satisfied right and people aren't going to spend the way they spent from 2020 until the beginning of 2021. We're going less digital this year. We can see that in, in the retail sales that numbers that are coming through and in Amazon's numbers that were down a little. People want to get out. People want to spend on experiences. They're kind of sick of you know, redoing their houses. And then there were all the supply chain issues. So we did sell in anticipation of this. Um, we also sold Sherwin-Williams, believe it or not, for the same reason. And that's worked out nicely wow. also. So I think we need to be careful about, as we think about the upcoming year, you can't say, hey, what worked for me in the past is going to work again. It's probably not. It's time to get creative and start to do some new things and start to look at things differently. I'll, 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 so you're saying people wanted to paint the town red, not paste their house red. See what I did there, Jenny? That's <laughs> another bad dad joke. Let's, that was the worst. Let's, let's move on. One of the reasons we love having you on, for many reasons, is you always bring new names. Clearway Energy, C-W-E-N. Who and Why? Um, so Clearway Energy is a power producer. And this, you know, when you were talking before about PG&E shutting off some of their power to Northern California, um, that's scary. But Clearway owns, they own the power generation and mostly they own it in wind, solar, geothermal, and very clean natural gas plants. And then they generate that power and they sell it to the grid. So it's a it's actually, it sounds like a really exciting, ooh, clean energy. The reality is, is it's just an energy production company, but they've got a dividend that should grow in the five to 8% range. And that dividend is already four and a half percent. So you've got a four and a half percent dividend growing at five to 8%. They've got super long-term contracts with the different, um, with the different utilities and they just produce power in efficient ways and sell it back to the grid. And, um, also this one, you don't look at in a, on a, um, earnings multiple, you look at on a cash available to just, sorry, cash available for distribution multiple, and that's trading at 14 times. So you've got a nice discount to the market. This goes to, you know, when I was saying you don't want to make money the same way, you don't want to try to make money the same way you did in the past. This is probably a really great way to make money going forward. It's different. It's not hanging at the edge of a cliff with a stiff multiple. It's just a solid pump out the dividends, pump out the return kind of stock. And based in the power generation hotbed of Princeton, New Jersey. Jenny Harrington of Gilman Hill Asset (laughs) Management. Jenny, always a pleasure to see your smiling face on Worldwide Exchange. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Brad.
All right, you're very welcome. All right, amazing. Goes like that, doesn't it? That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We will be back tomorrow with a new RBI and then our insider buying on Friday. I'll see you then. Squawk and the gang picking it all up next. Have a spectacular day, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.